Well, if you have a Bible, try to find the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be in 1 Samuel 18. But first, one of my missions in life is to find the ideal hot sauce that pairs with every dish. Some people are into wine pairing. I am into hot sauce pairing. And my life changed dramatically when I realized that sriracha did not just pair perfectly with pho, the Vietnamese noodle soup, but it paired perfectly with spaghetti. And it pairs perfectly with scrambled eggs. I realized that Mexican food took a a step up in my estimation when I discovered Chaula. And there are even lesser hot sauces have their place. Frank's Red Hot, a couple drops, and my wife's amazing chili elevates it to a higher plane. A couple drops of uh, Dave's Insanity Sauce, and I do mean a couple drops, into a pot of uh, chicken noodle soup. Fantastic. And that might not seem significant to you. Some of you live on the bland side of life. But for those of us who have tasted and seen... There's nothing quite like finding the right hot sauce because it not only enhances the dish's flavor, but it spurs you forward. You're eager to devour every bite, which I seem to have no trouble with. But I tell you about hot sauce, and don't steal my hot sauce. Those are not just props. Those are, they have plans. I tell you this because back in first in high school, but truly in college, I stumbled upon what I think is the secret sauce for the Christian life. Because then it was the first time that I got involved in authentic Christian community. And it really opened up a brand new experience for me. It, I discovered something that enhances the flavor of this lifestyle of discipleship. It, something that to this day spurs me forward in devotion and in trust of Jesus. You want to know what I think pairs best with the Christian life? Spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship is the special sauce. It's a secret ingredient of success in the Christian life. And before you call me a heretic, let me say I think this is biblical. Because think of the great heroes and heroines of Scripture. The Apostle Paul who carried the gospel to the Roman world. He had Barnabas and Silas and Luke. Moses, who led a nation out of slavery in Egypt, had Aaron and Miriam and the priest named Hur. Joshua had Caleb, Esther had Mordecai, Ruth and Naomi had each other. The prophet Daniel had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even Jesus had Peter, James, and John, not to mention the full 12. Friendship, spiritual friendship is integral to all of their stories. It's a key factor behind their endurance, their faithfulness, their ultimate success And I really do think this is my testimony too. I can look at those seasons of growth and fruitfulness and thriving in my life 
And I can connect them to particular friendships or communities with which God had blessed me with at that time. Guys, I once moved cities because of spiritual friendship. Our stop before Puyallup was Sacramento, California. Sacramento is flat, it's hot, it's crowded. I spent my first 30-ish years of life in the San Francisco Bay Area, but we left home because of spiritual friendship. Well, one, we felt that God was inviting us into a new adventure, but two was the fact that in college, God knit my heart together with a giant Lithuanian man named Philip. Philip and I are friends from college. That's us in our very bro-y uh, stage of life. But we were not just classmates with shared interests. We were too loud, rough around the edges, crazy young men who were passionate about the work of transformation that God wanted to accomplish on our university campus. We wanted to see lives transformed, our campus renewed, and people raised up and sent out to change the world. And our friendship, it was forged in college, but our bond only grew deeper and has only grown deeper since then. We were both in each other's weddings. Um, we both entered into ministry together, not on the same mission fields, but ultimately we did get to serve on a team together on a pastoral staff in Sacramento, which is why we ended up in Sacramento. But we, the beautiful thing about this is the Lord was totally in this friendship. Our, our wives became best friends. After college, we did something crazy. We shared a house together, the four of us. Once we picked up and moved to Sacramento, we bought houses next door to each other. And we took a, our backyard and we put a gate between our shared fence conjoining our backyards. There is this beautiful gift that even to this day, we're now in different states, but we talk every week. Once a month, we fire up Zoom and we play spades and pinochle over video chat and continue our conversations late into the night, which is very late for them because they're in Michigan. So it's more costly for them. But this spiritual friendship that I have with Philip, that I have with other brothers, it's changed my life. And I really do think it's that special sauce, that secret ingredient for thriving for any follower of Christ. And these sort of sacred friendships, they don't come natural to any of us. You won't drift into authentic Christian relationships. Spiritual friendships and, and Christian community are not merely found, they're built which is daunting because we've largely lost the art of forging deep, meaningful relationships. It seemed easy back when we were in school, when we had fewer responsibilities and more free time, but, but now it's really difficult. We've forgotten how to make and to be real friends. And it is my heart as your pastor to equip you to discover this sort of special sauce for yourself. 
I don't want you missing out on the sorts of friendships that will spur you forward in the Christian life that will fill your journey with joy, no matter the circumstances that you're navigating with. And remember that at the very beginning, God said it was not good for humanity, for a man or woman to be alone. And while friendship might not have survival value, C.S. Lewis once said, it's one of those things which gives value to survival. And Scripture actually provides us with a beautiful model of how to forge a spiritual friendship. And today we're going to look at one of Scripture's epic bromances, the bond between the shepherd David and Jonathan, the crown prince of Israel. And David might be familiar to you. He's the shepherd boy who, who killed the Philistine giant with just a sling and a few smooth stones. Jonathan, you might not know as well, was his unlikely best friend. He was the son and heir of Israel's first king, Saul. He was a warrior in his own right. Jonathan was destined to ascend to his father Saul's throne, to to assume the mantle of national leadership. But his life was changed by this friendship. So we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. And we're jumping into the narrative minutes, an hour after Goliath has been defeated. And it's this heady kind of emotional time where the nation is celebrating the defeat of their enemies and David's triumph and passions are running high and, and David, this unlikely hero, is presented before the court of the king. And this is what we read in 1 Samuel 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. From that moment forward, David becomes this unofficial member of the king's household something that will very quickly become official as he's given the princess's hand in marriage, Jonathan's sister, Michael. So he's going to become very shortly the son-in-law of the king and the brother-in-law of Jonathan. But I digress. Let's keep going. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over the men of war, set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. There's a lot to unpack there. But can we first acknowledge that this scene sounds strange to our ears? The language, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and he loved him as his own soul. These are not words we use in our culture to talk about friendship, is it? it? It sounds so foreign to us, 
We're not used to speaking of friendship as something that's so full of passion and emotion. It's hard for us to not read these texts as almost homoerotic. But I think that's a condemnation of our day and age because we just don't have the categories anymore for this sort of brotherly love and devotion. And on top of it, Jonathan's actions are a bit bizarre to us. Outside of Anne of Green Gables, have you ever heard of someone making a covenant of friendship with someone else? I I don't know if I'd be honored or if like the stalker alarm bells would be going off in my head. And I've, I've never had anyone literally give me the clothes off their back as well as everything that they were carrying on their person. Here's my jacket. Here's my watch. Here's my wallet. Here's my keys. They're yours now and always. I might be like quickly, quietly Googling how to file a restraining order just in case stuff got weird. But once we kind of acknowledge the strangeness and our cultural distance from this text, I I do believe this passage has a lot to teach us about the nature of spiritual friendship. So I want us to, to walk back through it and see if we can't identify the marks of true spiritual friendship. And the first thing I see is what you might call a shared heartbeat. In the moment that that stone left his sling and hurled towards the giant Goliath, something, he watched that and something clicked in Jonathan's heart. And again, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis because he writes so well about this topic. When he's speaking of friendship, he says, friendship arises out of mere companionship. When two or more of the companions discover that they have something in common, some insight or interest or even taste, which the others do not share, and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. So what's the shared insight, the shared heartbeat uniting David and Jonathan? Well, they're both crazy and courageous and confident in the power of the living God. David, this lowly shepherd, volunteers to fight in single combat this nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant of a man decked out in bronze armor with a a sword like a tree. He faces Goliath alone, but he shouts in defiance. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Boom. That speech gives David instant respect. 
in Jonathan's eyes. He's facing impossible odds with only brashness and an unshakable trust in God. But it's more than admiration. Jonathan has found a kindred spirit. Because when we first met Jonathan back in 1 Samuel chapter 14, he himself was doing something equally bold and insane without a metal weapon because the background, the Philistines had taken all of the smiths out of Israel. Jonathan on his own decides to attack a Philistine camp with only a wooden staff and one companion to carry his shield. And his rationale was just like David's. He says, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. No weapons, no backup, no problem. God's got this. So Jonathan approaches in full view of the Philistine soldiers. He kills 20 men and he throws the whole camp into panic. So do you get it? Jonathan, when that stone goes out of David's sling, he says, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. I was the only one crazy enough to do something like that. Their friendship, it's sparked by this shared heartbeat of courage and confidence in the Lord. But the second mark of true spiritual friendship is a deep intimacy. It's what our passage calls the the knitting together of souls. David and Jonathan's unencumbered love for God, it shines through them and it reveals their true selves to one another. And I really do think this is what is behind Jonathan taking off his robe, his armor, his sword, his belt. He's removing his status symbols. The things that mark him as a priest, a prince, and a politician, and a warrior. He he strips it all away because he wants a friendship between equals. A simple brotherhood of two kindred spirits who are sharing of themselves that are being open with their thoughts, their passions, their emotions, their fears, what their actual relationship with the Lord is like. Lewis, C.S. Lewis had written that while erotic love demands naked bodies, friendship True spiritual friendship demands naked personalities. I like that. You get to just be who you are, warts and all. There's no hiding your quirks or your feelings, no concealing your shortcomings or your insecurities. You're just yourself. And it's freeing, it's empowering. There's something truly special about someone deeply knowing you and you knowing someone deeply in return. And and this is what spiritual friendship is all about. It's about brothers and sisters walking side by side through life, vulnerable and honest, pursuing God and his purposes together. The next key characteristic of spiritual friendship is a fierce devotion. 
It's a commitment to one another that reflects the loyalty and love of God. We're again stumbling on my favorite Hebrew word, which is chesed. Can you say that with me? Chesed. Get in the back of the throat. Chesed. Yes, good work, kids. This uh, word doesn't have a, a, a neat and tidy English translation. It often will show up. It shows up in my Bible a lot as steadfast love, but in other places it might appear as loving kindness or mercy. In other spots, it's best rendered covenant loyalty or devotion. It's talking about God's fierce commitment to his people. And, and Hesed takes all the love and grace of faithfulness of God and it wraps it up into one word. It's God's fierce devotion to us as his creation. No matter how many times we fall short, no matter how many times we reject him, no matter how many times we make a mess of things, God never abandons us. He's always there to heal and to restore, to offer us another chance to invite us forward into newness of life. It is God's chesed, his relentless devotion to us when we don't deserve it. It is at the core of his character. Daniel sums it up. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in chesed. Why do I teach you this word again? Because Jonathan makes a covenant of chesed with David. And God, in light of God's fierce commitment and devotion and faithfulness to them, David and Jonathan want to show that same level of devotion to one another, which is great for David. He's a lowly shepherd. It's costly to Jonathan. Think about this. When he gives him his robe, he's not just giving him a piece of clothing. He's giving him the robe, the purple robe that identifies him as next in line to the throne. He's saying, this is my level of devotion to you. Even if I have to give up my throne and follow you as king, I'm in. I'm willing to make that sacrifice, I'm committed to you, standing with you now and always seeking God's future for our country. And this devotion, it gets tested. If you keep reading their story, King Saul will eventually turn against David. He sees him as a threat to his throne, so he, he decides to kill David. And when Jonathan hears of it, he warns his friend and he speaks up to his father on his friend's behalf. And Saul relents, but it's not for very long. He orders another assassination attempt on David. And, and Jonathan, he again learns of it and he tries to thwart his dad's plans. And Saul explodes onto his son. He says, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I don't know why mom's getting caught up in this, but <laughs> do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. 
Saul's not a very pleasant person at this point. He's saying, why did your wench of a mother even bother to give me an heir? Don't you know that you're putting the throne, our throne at risk by protecting David? But of course, Jonathan knows this. He's willingly open to laying aside his own kingship for his friend. And Saul gets so furious that he throws a spear at his own son. He tries to pin him up against the wall. And he misses, but it shows the depth of Jonathan's devotion. He puts his life on the line for his friend. What did Jesus say? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jonathan gets it. He's showing David the chesed that God has shown to him. And in turn, he's asking David for that same devotion in return. He will plead with David. He'll say, may the Lord be with you as he was, has been with my father. As it starts to look that Saul's reign will end and David will ascend, he says, if I am still alive, show me your chesed. Show me your steadfast, the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. This is a fierce devotion. So we got a shared heartbeat, a deep intimacy, a fierce devotion. The last two marks of spiritual friendship are a catalytic partnership and an appreciative love. David will go on to flee from Saul, but it's now clear to Jonathan that David's going to be God's next ruler of his people. And to this end, Jonathan partners with his friend. He strengthens him. He finds him in the wilderness, and he pushes him forward into all that God has for him. As we catch up later in their story, we read this, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh. And strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. That's what true spiritual friends do. They see the future into which God is inviting us, the growth and the victory that he wants to accomplish in our lives, and they push us forward towards Jesus. They stand in solidarity with us. They walk with us through life's ups and downs. They're like the catalyst in a chemical reaction. They get us where we're going faster. That's one of the things I've loved with the spiritual friendships I've experienced with my buddy Philip, with my buddy Russell. It's not only that they call me out on my junk, and I've got junk to be called out on, but they encourage me to press into all that God has for me. They want me to see and experience God's victory in my life. They want me to witness God's power and love flowing through me, taking me from ordinary to the best that the Lord might have. It's a catalytic partnership. I moved to Sacramento for a spiritual friendship, and my friend encouraged me to press in to what the Lord had for me. 
and move to Puyallup. And then the appreciative love piece is fairly straightforward. This sort of friendship breeds a a deep appreciation for one another. Again, last Lewis quote, but he got friendship. Friendship is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of all the others. There are no greater beauties than the beauties of a thousand other men. By friendship, God opens our eyes to them. When you share a heartbeat with someone, when you know them deeply and they know you deeply in return, when you're for another person, when you're committed to pressing them on towards Jesus, deep appreciation is a natural byproduct. You can't help but celebrate the amazing soul that God has made and to be honored to be their friend. I'd encourage you to press in deeper to the epic friendship of David and Jonathan. And we're only scratching the surface of their story, but so maybe your homework is read 1 Samuel 18 through 20 again. Kind of capture the sense of their bond in its wholeness. But I share with you their friendship for a purpose. I want to capture your imagination and stoke your desires. Because I know this sort of friendship seems almost unimaginable to some of us. It's the top of the mountain. It's something that we wouldn't actually even hope to expect for ourselves. But I actually want you to want friends like this. I want you to experience what these two men have We've all heard about the hero David, the mighty king, the man after God's own heart, but we don't notice the special sauce in his life, the amazing spiritual friendship that God used to sustain him and propel him forward into the Lord. And I don't want you to miss out on this. I don't want you to eat scrambled eggs and not know that sriracha is a thing. I don't want you to go a lifetime chasing after Jesus without spiritual friends and a community to accompany you on the journey. Well, you might ask, well, what am I supposed to do? Do I look to the person sitting next to me in church and write out a covenant of friendship and hand it over? Yes, no, mark the box. (laughs) Calm down. Not necessarily. That might come across as a little overeager. But I do trust that even now, God is orchestrating circumstances and chemistry to bring a spiritual friend into your life. But remember, we don't drift into authentic Christian relationships. These sort of spiritual friendships, this sort of community, it's not just found, it's built. And if Jonathan and David have anything to teach us, these sorts of Spiritual friendships require work. They require covenant intentionality. They require abiding in the relational love of God. So while God orchestrates circumstances and chemistry, you still need to go out and do the work. So what might this sort of 
covenant intentionality look like? Well, first, I think you need a small group community to journey with. Join a life group or a ministry team and commit to some travel companions who will chase after Jesus with you. But that's not it. You have to intentionally go deeper. Think of a a Christian brother or a Christian sister that you've clicked with here at Elam, someone you've had good interactions with, and, and choose this week to take a risk and invest. Grab a meal together and and share your stories. Share and pray about what you're celebrating, how you want to grow, how you're struggling. Ask how you might encourage someone forward in the way of Jesus. And yes, it might feel a little uncomfortable, but take the risk. It should feel a little weird at first because we're out of practice. We've lost the art of turning spiritual acquaintances into spiritual friends. We've forgotten how to be intentional, available, vulnerable, and honest. We need to relearn what it means to be there for people in good times and in bad times, how to be people that don't shrink back when things heat up, to be those who refuse to let fear or pride limit our relationships. Be a friend like Jonathan, and God willing, you will find a dear spiritual friend like David. Because God has invited us into the Christian life, and it is not a one-player game. We all make the decision individually to follow Jesus, but we're adopted into a family into a community, and this is God's design. So this week, take a risk. Reach out. Find a small group. When I first got here, Josh White, and I haven't told him this, I think it was this beginning of this year, he said, you know what? I need some deep spiritual friends. So he asked me, and he asked a friend of now, a friend of mine, Pastor Andrew Baldwin, a local pastor who's actually going to be sharing God's word with you guys next week, to start meeting at the ungodly hour of 5.30 in the morning to be travel companions on the journey together. And it has been so wonderful to walk through these seasons with these two men. Sometimes we mostly grunt at each other because it's early and the caffeine hasn't kicked in. But it is a gift for this season. And it would have never happened if Josh hadn't taken the risk and said, hey, this might sound weird, but you want to hang out early, early in the morning? So that's my challenge to you. Take a risk. It might be weird, but the gifts are worth it. Because he has called us to community. He has given us brothers and sisters in the Lord but we have to work at it. So let me pray for us as the worship team comes forward or as Brian comes forward. Dear God, Lord, we ask for help. We ask for friends. We celebrate the fact that you call yourself our brother, that you call yourself our friend, and that you have invited us into these 
communities of love and commitment. I pray, Lord, that you would be orchestrating friendships in this church, that you would be building communities, God, but I pray that you would give us the courage to do the work in partnership with your Spirit. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Add some special sauce to our life as we chase after you together. Community of sinners saved by grace. Community of beloved children of the King. Community of witnesses who are chasing after you, our life giver, wherever you may lead. Amen. Amen.